Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. All right, we are your hosts. My name is Gabrielle Hako, and who am I here with today? It is it is I, Sadie Carpenter. It and, is you. <laughs> and when I was in a terrible state, mental health wise, I was given a grossly unhelpful book by a convicted felon. Man, that that seems like a very strange decision. Like, I don't understand why somebody would do that. Well, I don't understand it either. So today we are going to talk to somebody who is far more qualified than either of us to see if we can come up with any logic or sense to why this book would have been given to me. Yeah. So what, what we've done, uh, we're talking about a book by a guy named Jack Scop. You may have heard of him. He uh, recently got out of prison for sex trafficking of a minor. And he deemed himself to be a bit of a guru, right? That's about right, you know, like uh, of being a... Yes. So we talked, um, we did an entire episode about Christian counseling and what that is and specifically what that is in the IFB. Jack Scop considered himself to be one of the foremost Christian counselors in the world. 
And he thought he was so good at it that he wrote a book specifically geared towards helping people with childhood trauma. Out of curiosity, how does one sort of get to become renowned as a great Christian counselor? Is it just a thing where if you get to a certain level as a pastor, you can just say, I'm a great counselor and everyone has to believe you? I think what it is was he pastored one of the largest IFB churches. So if someone in the church had a problem, they would go talk to a lower level pastor first. They might see an assistant pastor, or if they were a teen, they might see a youth pastor, or if they were a child, they might see a children's pastor or um, the principal of their Christian school, or they might go to their Sunday school teacher. Well, if that person felt like their problem was too big to solve, they would refer them up that chain of command until eventually the people with what were perceived as the worst problems, the biggest issues, ended up getting a personal counseling session with Jack Scott. So I think he felt that he could claim expertise because he had kind of seen the worst quote-unquote worst problems that his church had. You know, I'm wondering, because now now that Jack Scop's out of prison, do you think he got mad that Club Penguin got shut down? <laughs> uh, and now he's got to get a TikTok? Oh, no. Oh, no. Let me talk to these youths. Oh, no. I hope he does get a TikTok so he can see all my videos about what exactly I think of him. But on the other hand, I hope he does not get a TikTok. <laughs> No, I think that if you're on the sex offender registry, you should have to you, you should be banned from getting a TikTok. That's just my opinion. That's that's fine with me. Anyway, uh we're we're talking about this book that he wrote today, Healing for the Inner Hurt. It is a weird book. But fortunately, we have real professional help to help us analyze it. Yeah, so we have an actual licensed psychologist, a Dr. Shoshana Fagan here. Uh, she is licensed in the state of Massachusetts, I do believe. And she's going to be going through this book with us. It's going to be, I don't know if enlightening is, the, actually, I would say enlightening is the right word because she has some very interesting insights about what this book tells us about a guy like Jack Scop. Yeah, I think we learn more about the author than anything else in this episode, and it's it's fascinating. So we're just about to play that interview for you. Before we do that, um, I want to give a general TW for this episode. We are going to be talking about mental health issues like depression and anxiety. We're going to talk about self-harm eating disorders, uh, suicidal ideation. We're not dwelling on any of those particularly heavily, and we, we like to omit details of that when we can. So if I talk about a time in my past when I had suicidal ideation, I'm not going to tell you specifically what my plans were, and I'm, I'm going to try to avoid using language that would trigger people who have been in a similar situation. But we are going to talk about all of those things in general throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, but before we get into that, I just need to say that the Leaving Eden podcast is a podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So 
if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, one thing that you can do is you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, and you will get access there to extended and uncensored versions of most of our episodes, as well as some of Sadie's writings, which are very interesting. You can read what Sadie, uh, an actual fundamentalism and cult survivor thinks of The Handmaid's Tale. Great read if you're interested in that. You can also join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Make sure that you tune in for our upcoming June content. June is, of course, Pride Month. I know that we've been previewing this a lot, but Sadie, I think we can announce now right? Can we announce now? Yeah, let's go ahead. I'm tired of waiting and I'm extremely um, excited about the first guest that we have on for Pride Month. Yeah. So next week we have an episode where we're going to talk about the history of Pride. It's really interesting um, and like what to do if you've never been to Pride before and you know, you're coming out of fundamentalism and you think you might want to go. That's really fun. The episode after that we have an interview with, I think, a, a very cool person. I would yes. say this person is very cool. This, would you person, like to- this person is somebody that I followed on TikTok, and I thought there's no way that I could get her on my podcast. And then I got her on my podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Hunter. She's at That Liz Hunter on social media. Uh, amazing cult survivor story and about to be a published author. We are. We had an amazing conversation. We're so excited to share it with you. You forgot fashion icon, okay? And fashion icon. No, she's she's very cool. We already recorded that interview. It was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. Highly recommend you guys subscribe, stay subscribed, and and check that out. It was it was really enlightening. It was a great conversation. I loved talking to her. Oh, we've also got new merchandise available, including. Pride Month merchandise. Uh, we have a new merch supplier, so it's not the same link as last time. Check the link in our show notes, and it'll be up on our Instagram, I think, by the time this episode is released, so you can check out the selections that are available. But for anything that is Pride merch, Sadie, we are donating the proceeds of that. We are donating the profits that we make off of any Pride merch. Where are we donating it to? Do you want to tell everybody? Yeah. So our Pride Month donations this year are going to Point of Pride. Point of Pride is a foundation that provides direct assistance to trans and non-binary people. I picked this charity because I feel like they do a great mix of direct donation and advocacy, and they do a great mix of uh, smaller one-time grants and big grants for specific people. So they have a grant that is annual for people who are seeking gender-affirming surgeries. They provide multiple grants per year to help transfem people access electrolysis, and they also have a general fund to help many people access HRT through a service that's able to prescribe in states where that is difficult to gain access. They also distribute free binders and shapewear to trans and non-binary people all over the country. That is a great cause. Yeah, I love them because they they mix um, huge things and smaller things and try to help as many people as possible in that way. They are based, I believe, in Oregon, but they operate nationwide, including states like Texas and Florida. Um, Mm -hmm. And we think that it's very important these days to pick a cause that is operating in states like Texas and Florida. Yeah. And helping people present as themselves is 
obviously a huge thing for people's mental health and people's happiness, and that's important. But in the climate, (laughs) politically, that we live in, it also can keep people safe and literally save their lives. So this is this is something that I'm really passionate about, and I'm happy to be supporting them. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's the last thing that we have to talk about before I get to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our patrons, but especially to our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. You guys really are the ones that keep the lights on, but your names are Alex, Todd, Brittany, it's Brittany, bitch, Carrie R., Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, the OG Emery Fairlosser. Thank you so much. Uh, we have Hannah Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kater Wee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Michaela, oh, thank you, Michaela, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, aka the actress that played Peter Pan on Broadway. Uh, we just like shouting that out. Megan Arndt, Rachel Bernadowitz, the name that Sadie can't pronounce. It's true. Rebecca Hoyt, Robert Stutz, thank you so much. Sadie's actual BFF Morgan, thank you, Morgan. Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Taylor. And as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you so much, Faith Promise Missions, to your patrons. Yeah, thank you so much to all of our patrons, especially to the Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. We really appreciate you. All right, can we play this interview now? Because I am excited. Yeah, let's go do it. So we are here. Sadie, do you want to introduce our guest today? So today we have with us Shoshana. She is a licensed mental health professional, and we are going to be going through the Jack Scop mental health book healing for the inter healing for the inner hurts this is going to be a ride welcome Shoshana thank you very much i'm excited to be here we're so excited to have you and to dig into this document so Shoshana would you like to uh, uh tell us about your professional background your academic qualifications so that they know that you are the real deal and when we say that sh- uh, Jack Scop is a madman for writing this book. Uh, our listeners will know that we're not talking out of our asses. Absolutely. Um, my uh, official title is Dr. Shoshana Fagan. I am a licensed clinical psychologist in the state of Massachusetts. I received my doctoral degree from Antioch University, New England. I also have a master's in science from Antioch University, New England, and a master's in arts um, from psycho- of psychology from um, Teachers Col- College at Columbia University. Oh, wow. So you are extremely qualified. A little overeducated for anyone's well-being. Did you ever think that you would be using that list of qualifications to dissect a Baptist mental health, quote unquote, help book? No, definitely not. Say, did you want to give us maybe some background on this book, on your experience with this book? On like wh- like what what is this thing that we are reviewing today? This thing, <laughs> um, so I, I feel like most of our listeners will have heard me reference this book before, 
this, the title of the book is Healing for the Inner Hurts. And it is, of course, by Jack Scopp. Jack Scopp was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana from 2001 until 2012. In 2012, he was arrested and sent to prison for sex trafficking a minor. Uh, he had sexually abused this minor uh, under pretenses of pastoral counseling. But before he went to prison for this, he was known as being a professional Christian counselor, just about the best of the best. And if you had a case that was too difficult to be dealt with by other Christian counselors employed by the church or the college, you would get sent all the way up the ladder to Jack Scott. Between the time we planned this episode and the release of this episode, Jack Scott has been released from prison about 10 months early. So we are going to be extra mean to him <laughs> to deal with our uh, anger over that. Oh, is it all coming out today? That shouldn't be that hard. There are an awful lot of quotes in this book that make him look, I don't know what the right word is, but... Psychotic? Despicable. And <laughs> just like things that you could just thrust back in his face for doing exactly the opposite of what he says. Oh, absolutely. When, not if, when we are able to protest some event that he is attending or speaking at. I have a feeling there will be a lot of these quotes on poster oh, yeah. board staring him in the face. Mm -hmm. So my history with this book, uh, I, I've spoken about this in a lot of detail on the show. I was a student at Hiles Anderson College for two years. And during my second year there, I encountered some pretty major mental health problems. I was really depressed. I was feeling suicidal. I had immense amounts of stress in my life, as you would know if you just listened to the episode that came out last week, which is the day in the life of a college student episode. I had so much going on and it really started to affect my mental health. I was not yet diagnosed with PTSD, but I later would be. And in the depths of my struggles with this, I sought counseling from a college staff member who was supposed to be really knowledgeable on Christian counseling. And what I was given was this book, Healing for the Inner Hurts. <laughs> Just to make it clear, by this point, by the point that I was handed this book, the author was already in prison. <laughs> Whoa, wait, you never mentioned that part. <sighs> yes. Um, so I would have, I would, he, um, he surrendered himself for arrest, I believe in October of 2012. And his trial was, I think, October 2012. And then um, I would have been given this book sometime after Christmas break. So early, early 2013. So this is probably supposed to be Gabby's question, but I have to know, how did it make you feel being handed a book by written by a guy who had already gone to prison? The explanation that I was given, which I did believe at the time, I did buy into at the time, was that um, Jack Scott was used by God to help and counsel a lot of people. And yes, he went to prison for something he did wrong, but that doesn't mean that his advice wasn't good. So it's basically don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. If the baby is a pedophile and the bathwater is all of his crimes. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say poison. That, yeah. That's much better. That's That's alliterated. That's great. I love it. <laughs> Let's get right into this book. The first thing I want to talk about with this book is has got to be just the cover of it. Like not even getting into like the actual content of the book. Just what is going on here? Have you seen this cover? 
Shoshana, did you yes. take a look at the cover of this book? Um, Gavi, so, can you can you paint a word picture for the listeners because they can't see it until it goes up on our Instagram? Sure. Okay. So th- this this picture will be up on our Instagram. So if you go to our Instagram, then it's there. I, I, it says it. The cover is black. It says "Healing for the Inner Hurts" uh, by Doctor Jack Scop. I'm putting "Doctor" in the biggest Doctorb. air quotes. Doctor, just like Kent Hovind. His doctorate is from Hiles Anderson, as far as I'm aware. Just yeah. So FYI. it's. It's not real. Yes, yeah, so it is. It is fake, unlike yeah. Shoshana's doctor, <laughs> which is real. Actual doctor. So what, what we have here is we have uh, some pictures of uh, like a collage of people who seem to be going through something. There, there looks like a, a couple here who might be going through a rough patch in their marriage. There is a person here whose hands are like around their face, like they've been crying. There is a, a, a nice looking young woman staring at a picture a, 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 with like a coffin behind her. Uh, I assume that she has lost a loved one. But more interesting than that, there is a picture like, you know, those those like art posable figurines that you're using like art class to like draw like the shape of, of like a, a person. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's one of those hanging from a noose from like a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, so like it, it's like they can't show like a person having hanged themselves. So they show they have like an art figurine that has hanged itself. It This kind of looks like depressed girl Tumblr from 2008. Yes. I'm not going to lie. Yes. And then, and then at the bottom, in the bottom left corner, there is a picture of, I guess, a, a goth person, a goth woman, a, a, a young woman uh, in like goth aesthetic. So she has a spiked collar and extremely thin eyebrows. Now, Sadie, are, are you looking at this picture right now? I can't tell I if this is a... looking at this picture as we speak, yes. Is this a mannequin? Did he take a picture of a mannequin and put it on the cover of the book? I think this is a photoshopped real person. Shoshana, what do you think about the goth girl on the cover? I think it's a real person. Yeah. You think it's a real person? I th- I honestly, I think it's a mannequin. We'll throw it up on Instagram. You know what we'll do? We'll do a poll um, for our listeners. So we, you can can do say a, we can do a poll. And it, it is a confusing, th- this image is a confusing image. Yeah. So the co- the cover of this book is it's basically just like this is a collage of all of all everything that you will read inside this book is somehow related to something on this cover. This is the list of mental health struggles that a person can go through. So also just a quick side note, I literally just realized this not in episode prep, but I am counting one, two, three, four, five, six human faces on the cover of this book. Do you want to take a quick look at those six faces and tell me if you notice anything? I think, uh, what is is it that only one of these faces is a man? So that's one of it, yes. That's one of the two things. So yeah, there are one, two, three, yeah, six human faces on the cover of this book. Five of them are women and all of them are white, which hmm. is interesting. I mean, that doesn't surprise me based on what... It doesn't surprise me. I just... Just zero... Not not even uh, performative diversity no. being portrayed not even like a, like Like a textbook, uh, like your math textbook in, in 2004. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. For. Okay, so Shoshana, I want to get your opinion on this cover. Like, did did the cover of this book adequately prepare you for the madness that you would find within? I would say no, it definitely did not adequately prepare me for the madness that was within. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> I would also probably maybe give this one of the few times I'm going to give a pass to the creators of this book because it's really hard to put together the cover of any book on mental health or mental health struggles. Nothing really adequately captures it. The vast majority of the time you just see the like a sad person's face on the cover. And I'd say one, two, three, four out of the six pictures here feel kind of appropriate. I don't know what's the deal with the hanging mannequin. That's just creepy. And like <laughs> the goth girl, like that just feels judgy. Well, these are the these are the the IFB. They're very judgy. You right. know, that's kind of their shtick. True. I just feel that um, whoever picked the cover, the cover images for this book, is saying if someone looks like this with heavy, what's considered heavy makeup by IFB standards and a spiked collar, then they are therefore depressed and have mental health struggles. Right. That's. I think that's the very clear. That's the message here. Absolutely. I see people dressed crazier than that, uh, you know, just walking to the grocery store. You see people dressed crazier than that most times that you see me. That's, I mean, this this lady's hair isn't uh, aquamarine. It, it's not. It's a natural color. Yeah. And for someone who's wearing, honestly, someone who's wearing a spiked color like that, they've done their eye makeup quite well. Usually they would be a little more creative, I think. You know, the one thing that really, like, just shows the age of this book is the the extreme thin eyebrows. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, like that. I heard that thin eyebrows are coming back, and I just want to warn Gen Z absolutely, like, that they, they got to don't do it like you're not going to be happy okay so now that we've talked about eyebrows we should probably jump into the actual subject matter of this book before we get into chapter one though i want to read the dedication oh okay is that okay let's do it so um this is the dedication the dedication says dedicated to the army of silent sufferers who masquerade as normal functioning adults while nursing inner wounds inflicted upon them from their days of youth you had your innocence stolen your trust betrayed and your love tainted by fear and pain keep in mind this was written by a man who would later go to prison because he he told a teenage girl under the guise of counseling her that it was God's will that they should have sex and then transported her across state lines and uh, sexually abused her. That is correct. That is what he went to prison for. And that's what he wrote as the dedication uh, of this book. I, I find that... So I do have a note for myself on the dedication. Um, I wrote, is that a dig or an apology? 
Because, yeah, so part of me was wondering if he was attempting to apologize for transgressions he maybe had engaged in and felt guilty about, but others didn't know. In fact, to be perfectly honest, there were a lot of places in this book where I sort of wondered if he was talking about himself and trying to convince himself of certain things rather than it's supposed to be about someone else. Yes. That is a fascinating insight that I had not thought of. But that changes everything. I definitely see that. We don't have anybody else who has come forward by name and said that they were a victim, a a a underage victim of Jack Scott. We do have other credible abuse allegations from adults. But I I would be very surprised to learn that the the victim that he was caught abusing in 2012 was his only victim. I would be I would be shocked. The other thing that I want to take away from this is that he seems to be under the impression that the that the only people who are suffering, the only people who he addresses uh, as suffering are people who had wounds inflicted upon them from their days of youth. So basically He's what he's saying here is he's saying the only reason why you would have mental health struggles is if somebody had done something to you. And that's a common theme throughout the book. It's you are you are having mental health problems now because of something that happened to you when you were a child or a teenager. Ergo, the way the book is written, there's sort of the second piece that makes a person feel ergo. If you're having mental health problems, you must have had something bad happen to you as a child which also will leave people feeling as though there was something terrible that happened to them as a child. And although I think, Sadie, you've done a fabulous job establishing that the IFB is a highly toxic environment, it doesn't mean that every individual home was abusive. And there could easily be people out there who struggled with mental health issues for a variety of other reasons, but then are given this book and are made to feel like something must have been much worse at home than they realized. This happened to me. Um, So even after leaving the IFB, like in my early first couple years of getting out, I went to a past life regression hypnotherapist to try to uncover the traumatic memories that must have given me these mental health problems. Like, I literally went under hypnosis to try to find my traumatic memories that Jack Scott said I must have. And that's a terrible thing to have to happen. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Well, I am, I am, I appreciate that. And I'm happy that I've been able to move past that. Absolutely. And, And, you know, keep growing. And generally past life hypnotherapists are not well accepted in the mainstream mental health community. Yeah, that's that's that is one of those things like um, chiropractors and essential oils and all this kind of thing. It's like, hey, if this is going to make you feel good and it is safe for you, because that can be different for every person. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, but this isn't the the standard of care and it's not the first thing that you should run to. Probably. Absolutely. That's that's very much where I fall on kind of all all of anything that's crunchy or hippy dippy. It's like, hey, if this is going to make you feel good feelings and it is safe, well, okay. But <laughs> I feel that way about acupuncture, actually, mm-hmm. despite it actually having some empirically supported evidence in certain situations. I don't understand how it works. I can't believe it possibly could work, but it obviously seems to work. So go for it. Mm-hmm. It's covered by insurance. Exactly. 
So, you know, why wouldn't you? So uh, where should where should we go to next? Is that all we have for the forward to this book or do we have another note on that? So is it in chapter one or is it in the foreword where he's where he talks about why he wrote the book? Uh, I think that that is in the foreword. I'm looking at it. It's on page 10 of the book. Because what he says here essentially is that he decided to write this book because in 2005, Terry Shiva was allowed to die. Oh, I Um, have a lot from the foreword. Okay. Yeah, where because basically he's saying, and you guys remember, like a, a, a few months ago, we did an episode about David Gibbs and the CLA, um, and uh, and their involvement with the Terry Schiavo case. So if you want an update on what happened there, uh, you can go back and listen to that. But Jack Scott basically decided that the whole of medical professionals in the the country, I guess, are not interested in preserving life and cannot be trusted to do so because Terry Schiavo died. And therefore, it is up to him to write a book in which he would use the word of God to repair the mental health of those who were considering suicide. Because if Terry Schiavo had had counseling from someone like Jack Scop, she would not have suffered from bulimia and therefore would not have fallen into the coma and therefore oh, would not the have died. Yeah. Okay. Which, that was a long walk for a short drink of water. Yeah. But like, you can see why, like if it, getting inside, like this, this tells us so much about the mind of a Jack Scott. Is He is saving the world from the medical system that allowed Terry Schiavo to have an eating disorder and therefore die. Shoshana, what's your take on this? I think that I don't even know where to begin. As not a med- as someone who's not a medical doctor, I'm not sure I have the credentials to speak directly to Terry Shivo's medical condition. I can guarantee that her underlying heart condition, which caused the heart attack that led to her persistent vegetative state would not have been fixed through Christian counseling. I, I definitely <laughs> I, I definitely agree with your assessment on that. And and I'm going out on a limb here because again I'm not a medical doctor. So I, you know, don't want to say things that I'm not qualified to say. <laughs> You know, I I do feel I feel like that is a really solid assessment, though. Yeah. Thank you. Just just like as a layperson's opinion, I, I could have said the same thing, but I, I feel better if, if it's coming from you. OK. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Again, we have the same credentials when it comes to heart conditions. Yeah. Wait, but your father's what kind of doctor is your father? Uh, PCP. Oh, OK. Yeah. Not anymore. He retired yeah. like two years ago. So I don't think he's he's board certified anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shoshana, what else did you have for us on the on the foreword to this book? <laughs> yeah. So on pages fourteen and fifteen, there is mention of a number in a number of areas around mental illness, and um, on page fourteen, there's a short story around addiction. And talking about, I guess, let me rephrase that. So there's there's a question he poses to his audience about whether it being worth people 
bringing into the ministry uh, individuals who may be talking to themselves and answering themselves. And then towards the end of the same paragraph, he talks about addictions holding these people captive. Well, unfortunately for Jack, individuals who are talking to themselves and answering themselves, they may be suffering from addictions, but those particular symptoms are not indicative of addiction. And so on this page, he miss identifies someone who probably has a major mental illness as suffering from addiction. Whereas on the following page, he goes into a discussion on, where is the text that he refers to? It is Mark chapter five. Oh, so I Googled the actual chapter and I read the passage. And after reading through the passage, which says no man can bind him, And then later on, it says, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stone. Jack then goes and identifies this person as having dissociative identity disorder. There is absolutely nothing about this description that would indicate dissociative identity disorder. My first guess after reading this particular passage would actually be that this person might have ingested something that was causing hallucinations. So first he's calling someone with major mental illness, someone who's engaging in activity with illegal substances. And then literally in the next paragraph, he's saying someone has a major mental illness, but the major descriptor that he skips over shows that there's just as much likelihood that this person actually is suffering from the effects of a addictive substance. So he's just mixed up those two. Completely. For the the former church kids following along the audience, that's the, we call that the the story of the maniac of Gadara is the story in in Mark chapter five. Yeah. You know what I I see the connection here as being that that basically, you know, if, if you look at like, People who are homeless, you see people who are suffering from, uh, I don't know, maybe schizophrenia or, 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 or some other disorder like that. And they've just, you know, and the system has really, you know, failed them and let them fall through the cracks and they've ended up homeless. And then you also have people who are homeless who use drugs and that's a contributing factor there. And Absolutely. they've also, and they, and it, Basically, it's just like if somebody is homeless, they are one of these people. Therefore, these two people are the same people. He's conflating them in the same way mostly people do, making assumptions about who homeless people are. The unfortunate reality is statistics show that up to 50 percent of homeless people in a city are mentally ill. And there's absolutely a large group of homeless people and just a large group of people who are mentally ill that self-medicate through substance use. But there's nothing that would make a person who knows about mental illness or about substance use jump to the conclusion of substances when they see a person talking to themselves or in the clinical terminology responding to internal stimuli. I want to circle back to to him bringing up dissociative identity disorder in particular because I honestly, and I want Shoshana's take on this, but I honestly feel like Jack Scott Googled DID one time and then decided to apply that diagnosis to a biblical character. The the quote from the book is, 
If modern psychologists had been diagnosing people in Bible times, no doubt they would have labeled this man as having dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. And that no doubt just sticks. No doubt they would have labeled this man. That just sticks in my mind because I do not feel like this, the description of the maniac of Gadara is a good fit for the DSM definition of dissociative identity disorder. Yeah. And if I had a student write a paper using this character as an example of dissociative identity disorder, I would fail them. I I wow. would ex- I would expect you to like I I have a a very close friend who has been diagnosed with DID, so I've I've done a little bit of just layperson research into the condition from things that they have sent me and just to kind of have a, a little bit of a handle on what they're going through and how I can support them. And I just I don't think that this though I don't think that this char- biblical character's presentation has anything to do with with DID. And I honestly feel like Jack Scott just Googled it. Absolutely. I think a lot of people have been reading a lot about DID lately just because of Moon Knight. It's also a thing on TikTok. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe that's why. Huh. Don't get your mental health advice from TikTok. Or social media. Right. Hashtag don't get your mental health advice from TikTok, right? Or a podcast. Yes. Oh, disclaimer. (laughs) Please don't use the information I share on this podcast as formal mental health advice. (laughs) No, if we we can encourage you and make you feel better and make you feel heard and understood and encourage you to seek professional help if you need it, that's great. But please do not get your professional formal help from this podcast even when we have exceptionally qualified people as guests. Yeah. And so back to this question about the diagnosis. Yeah, There's nothing about this character. You're right. Unless I'm missing something about this story. And again, I did a quick Google search on the story, to be fair, which, again, we're accusing him of doing a quick Google search on the diagnosis. So I don't want to be overly judgy in that respect. But based on my short understanding of the story, there's nothing that would indicate dissociative identity disorder. The diagnostic criteria lists the presence of two or more distinct identities or personality states each with its own relatively enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking of the environment and self. They recurrently take control of the person's behavior. A person has an inability to recall important personal information that is too extensive to be explained by ordinary forgetfulness. And the disturbance is not due to physiological effects of a substance or general medical condition. And there's nothing described in this character to make a person think that they have two distinct personality states. I just, I wonder how Jack Scott got to DID. I don't understand how anybody, any reasonable person would make that connection. I, I have no clue. I truly have no clue. Maybe he got it confused with something else. I don't know. Um, or maybe he heard somebody talking about it. Or maybe he didn't even Google it. He just went outside his office when he was writing and he's like, Hey, Marsha, do you know what it's called when somebody says a bunch of stuff to themselves? What, what What's the name of that one? Right. And then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the- that sounds so accurate. Though. So here would be my guess. People are constantly confusing schizophrenia with multiple personality disorder. DID is the updated term for multiple personality disorder. 
So I'm guessing that he made the common mistake that everyone makes and assumes that people who talk to themselves have multiple personalities. And he was trying to sound official and put in the DID information. I I think that's a very good theory. Uh, Are we ready to move on to chapter one of this book? Yes, let's do that because chapter one is like, I mean, you guys thought it was crazy already. Yeah, I don't... It's about to go off the rails here. I don't know. Uh, I have notes on notes here. So chapter one primarily deals with self-harm. So I do want to give a CW. That's going to be the the topic of this chapter. And we're going to try to avoid anything that's just gratuitously graphic. But th- this chapter does go into a lot of detail and uh, talks about methods that people use to self-harm. It tell it paints very vivid word pictures of a person who is self-harming. Uh, and I was self-harming when I was given this book. And so was Oh no. Yeah, and so was a friend of mine, um, to a much a much more severe extent than I was. And I just I wanted to just get Shoshana's kind of off the cuff take on that because I felt like this book just it was it was triggering, but I don't know if triggering is even the correct word to describe it. I think that I feel like giving a person who is struggling with self-harm this book is like putting a pint glass full of vodka in front of an alcoholic. I honestly think that's a fabulous analogy. This particular chapter does nothing to help a person who's self-harming recover, gain a sense of control, even feel like a sense of normalization in a healthy way. On top of the fact that, again, he continues to conflate different diagnoses. And so he's throwing all these other diagnoses in with self-harm and calling them self-harm. And though technically you could consider them self-harm, that's not how we conceptualize them from a mental health perspective, because usually the etiology and the development of these disorders come from very different places. And then, as I had mentioned earlier, it makes everyone feel like they must have been abused if they're self-harming. He's specifically conflating um, eating disorders of all kinds, and he names several different eating disorder diagnoses and conflates that with self-harm. Absolutely. And both types of diagnoses often present with people who are really struggling with their self-image and self-worth, but he makes these sweeping statements about how all people who self-harm are X or all people who have eating disorders do it because of Y. And that is just not how things work in life. So you're saying that the fundies like to paint with a broad brush? And only use one color. That is shocking. That is a shocking revelation. (laughs) I know. It's so surprising. So going back to my own experience with this book... Um, if if you're if you happen to have a copy, if you're looking at this book, it's on the the bottom of page seventeen, top of page eighteen. There is a whole list, and it starts with the word self injury includes. And I'm not going to read it because I don't want to uh, accidentally trigger somebody. But there is a whole list of like fifteen different forms of self harm. And I took this book. So when I was given this book by the Christian counselor at the college, I took the book back to the counselor and I put this list in front of him. I believe I actually copied the list from this book onto a separate sheet of paper, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. And I put the 
either the book or the paper that I had copied it down on, whichever way it was, I slammed it on the desk in front of this Christian counselor. And I said, do you see this list of things? I have done all but three of them. Can you help me? Jesus. His response was, you need to read your Bible and pray more. And I was just, I was wondering if Shoshana couldn't maybe just rant about how f***ing irresponsible that is because it would make me feel better. Absolutely. First, though, I want to normalize this a little bit for people who are listening because a larger percent of people engage in non-suicidal self-injury than I think others realize. Um, current statistics show that 15% of college students, 17% of adolescents are engaging in non-suicidal self-injury. Individuals who are LGBTQ plus are at increased risk of engaging in these behaviors. And so a large percentage of people out there are doing this. And they do it for a variety of reasons, including, you know, poor self-esteem, release of pain because they hear others are doing it to relieve stress. And so characterizing it as all happening for one reason is never going to be helpful. That being said, when someone comes to you and say that they are har- says that they are harming themselves and your response is go read something, go read anything, whether it be the Bible, whether it be the DSM, whether it be a phone book, that in and of itself is irresponsible. If someone is engaging in self-harm behavior, they need to see a professional who can help them in get coping skills and tools that are going to help them be safer. Was this person a mandatory reporter? I don't know. I have not looked into it deeply enough to say for sure. Uh, This person did work for the college, uh, but it's not an accredited college, so I'm not sure how that works. This person was the most trained person that the college had in mental health. I think he had like something from a community college or something. And what's most scary to me is... If I'm going to give them the most benefit of the doubt possible, then they should have pointed you in the direction of something specific in the Bible that could be comforting and helping. Yes, there are people that find comfort in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, I do. I still do. Right. And there are passages within the Bible that can help ground a person. There are passages within the Bible that can help provide context and can help a person feel like their situation is more normalized. But just to say a sweeping, go read your Bible is the equivalent of saying, eat your fruits and vegetables and you will lose weight. Or... Mm -hmm. Eating your fruits and vegetables so you don't, so your diabetes goes away. So, what I ended up doing, because I feel like Shoshan is probably curious, what I ended up doing was I would write scripture verses on myself in ink over areas where I typically would have hurt myself. And that practice was fairly helpful until a few years later when I got professional help. I am I'm happy to tell you and our podcast listeners, I am, uh, gosh, almost four years removed from any kind of self-harm. And before that, four years ago, I was like two or three years b- before I broke my streak and had to start over. So I am very much considering myself in recovery and doing great, and I'm very proud of myself. Um, but it was years after this incident before I got any real professional help, and I'm thankful that I lived through it. <laughs> 
Absolutely. And I want to applaud you for coming up with such a healthy way of responding to that advice. That's a really healthy thing to do. And it's really consistent with a lot of people out there. There are a lot of people who will get tattoos over places Mm -hmm. where they self-harmed. Yeah, I know. I have a lot of friends who have gotten um, either tattoos in places that that's a temptation or in places that they have scars. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to do. Um, But this was this advice was not helpful. And I feel like I survived this advice. And it's because of you and your own resilience to be able to take that horrible information and come up with a more healthy and adaptive way of coping. Like, that's incredible. I just struggle to understand how that could have seemed like a good idea. I mean, how giving me this book in the first place could have seemed like a good idea ever. Yeah, that I don't get. But it also tells me that whoever this quote unquote professional was didn't have professional training. I mean, I work with three amazing people in our spiritual care department. And I guarantee you none of them would ever give that kind of advice. It, it is it is just a bit it is a bit mind blowing the the whole thing <laughs> god i i'm I'm so happy you made it through Sadie because that like that's I feel like just saying go read your Bible more is worse than because I mean that's kind of what was causing a lot of the problems to begin with was I the, mean this focus this same counselor a fellow college student confessed to him that he had plans to actively harm me uh, and kill me and the same counselor did nothing about that so I guess it's not really that surprising and so that's interesting because many states have something called a Tarasov law and it would have been in effect when you were in college. Backstory, there was a woman whose last name was Tarasov, whose name, I cannot remember her first name anymore. But essentially what happened was someone came to their counselor saying, I am going to kill this person, last name Tarasov. At the time, the counselor couldn't, as part of confidentiality, disclose their imminent plans to harm someone. And this person, Tarasov, was killed. And as a result... States, I, my understanding is all states have passed Tarasov warnings and Tarasov laws that allow mental health professionals to break confidentiality in the face of imminent harm to another. And by law, if someone comes to me and says, I plan on killing someone, I plan on harming someone, and I feel like the threat is imminent and clear, I absolutely have to do something. Of course, in Sadie's case, it wasn't confidential because she was in the room when this guy said these things. Well, yeah, I I was in the room when he told the counselor that he was planning on harming me. But I am told that he also told the counselor the same thing when I was not in the room. Either way, she would have had a legal responsibility to take steps to ensure your safety. So, Gavi, there was another thing that is also insanely triggering that you wanted to talk about from Chapter 1. Would you like to bring that up? Uh, so a trigger warning for all of the things. Seriously, um, but as- especially sexual assault. Yeah, this is, this is th- like, I read this and I was just baffled. I was perplexed. I, I, at, at the fact that this section was printed in a book and distributed to people and nobody who read this section said, we should not put this into print and, and, and publish this. Anywhere, um, ever. 
At, yeah, it's it's horrible. Um, so Jack Scott, he introduces the concept of self-harm. He says some statistics about uh, people who do it and goes on to say that people who engage in self-harm were previously victims of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, continuing a pattern that we've already introduced. Uh, he introduces problem eating disorders. Then he casually launches into... A horrific account. This kid says that when he was 12, he was sent to a military academy and was gang raped by older boys. And then I I, like I want to read a quote from the section. And he says that this boy is is coming to Jack Scop and saying this. He says, I came to you today not because I'm necessarily angry at those boys any longer, but because I have become what I hated in them. I am a bona fide sodomite. Committing sodomy is as natural to me as breathing air. I have had multiple relationships with scores of men and boys. Mine has become a lifestyle, and I hate myself so much I cannot deal with me anymore. There is a, first of all, I want to say there is a 0% chance that this is a real story. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think I should just have to say that, but like th- this is clearly a fictional story, like a fictional anecdote that Jack Scott put into this book. But this probably non-existent young man goes on to confess committing acts of sexual violence on preteen boys and confesses to his real and present desire to continue to sexually abuse children. And what does Jack Scott do? I'm going to read the quote, and this is a sentence. This sentence directly follows a sentence where the young man confesses to what he does and what he plans to do in the future. And Jack Scop says, We chatted for a little longer, and after our appointment was over, I wrote down a statement Those who hurt us the most are often hurting the most. That's his response. That's his response. He's like, Man, this kid came in and said all these things to me. Man, hurt people hurt people. And just to clarify, like, <laughs> the young man in this story is like 18, 19. Yeah, and coming to Jack Scott to talk about something that happened when he was 12. Yeah, and and like his behavior since then and, and like all of the horrible things that he's been doing since then. And Jack Scott's like, man, hurt people hurt people. I have two responses to this. First, I think this is one of the examples that made me think that he's talking about himself. <gasps> really? I don't have evidence of it at all. I just have a vibe that he's disclosing uh, oh, like his own history of victimization. That seems... Mm, maybe not the specifics, but like... Yeah, I don't know of him ever being sent to military school, but I feel like there's a very good chance that he would have attended, I don't know, say Christian church camp or other that sort of situation. And then kind of created a fictionalized account of uh, what saying this young man did abuse children, um, whether or not Jack Scott actually did. Um, maybe it was something that was that had entered his mind or that he had become obsessed with. I, I mean, I could I could see it because later, like a few sentences later, he says, you will discover one profound p- fact. People who are doing all the hurting are some of the people who are hurting the most. I think he's talking about himself. Again, wow. no true evidence, but I think that whole story is an allegory. I don't think he had 
any person that he knew that was close to it. And frankly, I don't even know if he necessarily cared so much about like he wanted to create paint a picture of what was in his mind, the worst possible situation, not necessarily mm-hmm. his own. Maybe it was his own. Maybe it was what I don't want to put, put conjecture here, but to me, he's doing two things. He's emphasizing, he's creating a scenario where he's just sort of going out and trying to say, or using this as an opportunity to say, being gay is bad. And then he's also, which is what's even worse, I feel like he's equating consensual sex with rape. Because as it goes down, this guy is disclosing that he engages in consensual relationships. And then he's talking about it right after he has this like, horrible disclosure about having been horribly horribly assaulted and the way the story reads the two are equivalent which is just terrifying to me well he's confessing to two things he's confessing to i have consensual relationships with other adult men and i non-consensually abuse children and i was non-consensually abused and those are all the same level of quote-unquote crime Mm. in the way that jack scott is writing about them And texts like this, I think, are the reason why people like the Duckers can't differentiate between, I can never pronounce this, like, acronym CSAM and consensual pornography. This is, I mean, that's exactly it. Because in in Duggar world, um, the crime that Josh Duggar committed and will hopefully get sentenced to a very long time for, um, we're recording this before the sentencing, (laughs) um, is the same as cheating on his wife. Or a consensual male 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 relationship. Yes, exactly. Sadie, you've read the documents, the all of Jack Scott's uh, pleas for leniency um, mm-hmm. when you know when he wrote to the judge and asked, uh, "Please go easy on me, and also please let me out of jail early." Mm-hmm. Um, was was there anything in there where he talked about uh, his his background and how he had at one time been the victim of? some sort of violence or some sort of abuse no he doesn't bring it up in there Hmm. not that nothing that i'm remembering still a a very valid theory though Uh, if but if that was in there then i would have said like there is a hundred percent chance at least for my another another thing is that jack scoff is kind of um equating all abuse to be the same Absolutely. So being physically abused or being mentally abused or being sexually abused is always is all kind of the same thing, the same psychological effect in his world. Which we know not to be true. By far, sexual abuse not. has the absolute worst impact on children's development. And actually, what comes next in terms of impact on a person's development is usually psychological abuse slash neglect. It's a lot harder on a child to sort of understand and negotiate that than they can physical abuse because physical abuse is still attention. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about ways that Jack Scott told on himself. Uh, would y'all like to get into some pull quotes from this book that include him telling on himself? That sounds like a great idea. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you start us off? Yeah. Why don't you start with your favorite one? Okay. So I think the most sort of salient quote in the face of what Jack Scott was convicted of is the following. However, these and other extenuating circumstances never make victimizing another human being acceptable. 
being victimized will never be a satisfactory reason for victimizing others. Wow, that's extremely accurate. Yes, Jack Scop, it is never it is never acceptable to victimize another human being, Jack Scop. Yeah. Thank you for letting us know. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that uh if if somebody victimized another human being, I would hope that they wouldn't ask for, I don't know, leniency from a judge because your parents are old. Yeah. This is this is the one that related. This is the quote. This is a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. Sorry, Gavi. I'm going to read this cuz I love it. Go for it. Don't be mad. Okay. Several times I have met with men who have lost their ministry. And all they want is to bemoan their lost and have bemoan their loss and have back what they lost. The typical stance and statement I hear is, "I don't understand why people won't forgive me. Where is the grace and forgiveness of Christians? What happened to their righteousness and good choices?" Some of these men preached for years about reading the Bible and praying, but when they made the choice to dispense with these things, all they want is forgiveness. They want to have a big band aid applied to the wound and to hear some soothing words like, "We're so sorry for you. It surely did." hurt to live in sin, didn't it? What happened to good choices when you freely and deliberately choose to make some incredibly stupid decisions that have robbed you of everything good in life, especially your reputation and your testimony? The result of your exodus into worldly living is to whine about how hard it was for you. What happened to good choices? End quote. I don't know, Jack Allen Scott, what happened to good choices? Why don't you tell me? Jesus Christ, dude, that is on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I have that one start all over the place. <laughs> Jesus, I can can I can I do the next one? You can do the next one. I am just I am claiming what happened to good choices as my protest sign. That is a that is an excellent protest sign, Sadie. I I really like that. God, that is so absolutely what on the nose. What could possibly Jesus. be more about himself than that quote? Uh, here's here's so one thing that I've found from this book is that it's also low key like a a marketing tool for Hiles Anderson College because he'll be talking about something he'll he'll be talking about like a mental health subject and then randomly he'll insert in there Hiles Anderson College offers a variety of <laughs> activities for young, right? <laughs> young Christian people to who are the future ministry workers like you know and he'll be like the Beverly Lake in the middle of the beautiful five acre Hiles Anderson College camp like <laughs> you know okay like he, and and he, he just keeps bringing up like rape and incest victims and like zero resolution and Hiles um, Anderson campus yeah, and Hiles Anderson campus. And see, that's just like he. I think he's talking more about himself than he realizes. Yeah, so he he goes on to say, parents, if you have a kid who graduated high school and are eighteen, treat them more strictly, or they will disobey you. Age ain't not, but a number, and just because they're eighteen doesn't make it okay for them to watch HBO movies and try liquor and fornicate or their misdeeds will be visited on their family for four generations that like what even it like well this goes this goes back to a story that i've told about him before when i was 16 at lady spectacular and he preached an entire sermon to a room full of teenage girls about the highly specific ways that our outfits were causing him and other good preacher boys to lust so I also want to point out Jack Scop uh, says in here that age ain't nothing but a number, which is the name of the Aaliyah album that was uh, produced by R. Kelly. 
Um, yeah, so Jack Scop and R. Kelly both agree that age ain't nothing but a number. Jack Scop and R. Kelly <sighs> probably agree on a good deal. Yeah, well, they, you know, they, they've been in, imprisoned for uh, similar crimes. Uh, Shoshana, do you have another uh, pull quote? What's your next best? Scott yeah. Pull quote? So page 33 at the top. It says, just some pastoral advice. Watch your children. I have noticed they are, they are pairing up with certain people with whom I would never trust my children. Wow. He said something like that about me once. Ooh. Yeah. Um, nice. Scott, and all of this was happening. He was more involved with our church around the time I was 16, which is scary to think about. Ew. Just incredibly scary. I have I have pictures of me and my family and another church family going out to eat with Jack Scop. And in the picture, you can see that he has scooted his chair down to be directly across from a gaggle of teenage girls, including me. It, it is, uh, I can tell you, he absolutely gravitated towards teenage girls above anybody else. Teenagers in general, but especially teenage girls. Um, which looking back is just just makes my skin crawl. Um, but when he was when he was at my church for a conference when I was about about sixteen, he went on this long rant from the pulpit. Apparently, my dad had said in compliment to some man in the church, my dad had said, "Well, I trust my teenage daughter with him if she needs a ride somewhere. I trust him to take her." And Jack Scott just latched on to if my dad even said it, I don't know that he did. But Jack Scott just latched onto that and went on a whole rant about how I was this perfect, precious, pure thing. And if my dad would trust me with some man, then that was such a high compliment and just kind of went on and on about it. That is so creepy. Uh, It is creepy considering, like, just looking Uh. back, two years later, he sexually abused somebody who was the age that I was when he was saying those things about me. Right. Oh, it is just scary. And and I like how close did I come to disaster? So I have two quotes right here. Um, The first is uh, on page 73. He talks about how technology brings moral challenges again from uh, I I want to remind everybody of the manner in which Jack Scott was caught in the crime of molesting a, a, a minor teenager is that he had pictures of said incident on his smartphone. Yes. Technology brings moral challenges, does it? Yes, it, it, mm-hmm. it does. Um, anyway, uh, this is another one, though. So he says here, in my late 20s, and also trigger warning, because this is an insane quote. He, he says, in my late 20s, I went through some struggles of wondering about my life. Even a Christian can reach the bottom point in his life when he starts wondering whether or not life is worth living. Perhaps he starts fingering the trigger of a gun, wondering if maybe a bullet is the best way to end it all. That is an insane quote. But then he transitions immediately, like not like no break. He just like an immediate pivot to talking about basketball and talking about NBA players wearing warm-ups over their jerseys when they're waiting to get subbed into the game. Which was a terrible analogy. It doesn't that was make a really any dumb sense. analogy. <laughs> that was worse than some of Bill Gothard's analogies, and that's really saying something. This is this book is so a I just net. to clarify that quote, um, Jack Scop did often talk about his own suicidal ideation. Okay. Uh, when he was in his late twenties. 
this is something that he brought up on occasion. And what I, the story that I believe I always heard him tell was that he actually did put a weapon to his head. And then he realized that his young children would have to live through everything that that entails. And he did not want that outcome for his children. And that's why he did not commit suicide at that time. Which is often one of the things that stop people from following through on suicide. Um, Can I give just a quick suicide kind of... Yes, please. Yes. So I do just want to say, like, you know, a lot of people do contemplate suicide and the numbers have been going up since the pandemic started. If you're having thoughts of suicide, please reach out. Please help um, or please get help. There are so many ways to reach out and seek help anonymously. Um, I've given Sadie and Gavi contact information that I'm hoping they can post um, either for the National Suicide Hotline or if you are GLBTQ, the Trevor Project is an absolutely amazing organization and it has ways to contact people via phone, via text, um, via messaging on a computer. Anytime you're having these thoughts or feelings, reaching out for support can make a huge difference. Those will be, um, we will post them on the Instagram, but they will also be in the episode description for this episode where they should be just clickable links. So it'll just be one click away. And I will tell you, um, I have called a hotline like that in the past and I'm glad I did. And I got help and stuff got better. And I'm, I'm happy that I'm here. And we're really happy that you're here. So I did find... Um, Amidst all of Jack Scop just telling on himself, I found one piece of advice in this book that I do think is pretty good advice. So it just in the interest of giving credit uh, on page 80 and 81, the book talks about panic attacks. It says that one source of panic attacks can be having too many loose ends, like starting a bunch of projects and not finishing them. If that's the kind of thing that gives you anxiety, try not to do that. Don't overdo on multitasking. I can confirm like unfinished projects and things that I have to do is a source of anxiety for me. And I'm sure it is for some other people as well. And I try to not do that. And I use to-do lists to motivate me to actually finish tasks. So that is advice that is good advice for at least some people. Yeah. And actually, I found that whole chapter overall to be not so bad. Like non-harmful. Yeah. If if not super helpful or anything new or creative, that chapter is kind of like probably not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. I would say the only thing that could potentially not be fabulous is the next part where they talk about a cluttered life only because it's not taking into consideration people for whom organization is really difficult. Those people out there who have ADHD or are neurodiverse in other areas, organization cleanliness is really difficult and can take a long time to achieve. I myself have an ADHD diagnosis and I have worked my whole life to figure out how to keep my home clean. I still cannot do it. I've learned how to clean up after myself. I've learned how to compensate for myself. But if someone told me that my cluttered home was the cause of my anxiety, it would just make me feel worse. 
because Mm -hmm. it's not something that I could control so easily. It's something that I've had to work incredibly hard at. And so I do want to point out that's probably the one place in this section about anxiety where, yeah, clutter is harder to live around, but not everyone can avoid it so easily. That is something I identify with so Mm -hmm. strongly as also a person with an ADHD diagnosis. Oh, man, if somebody told me, well, your life sucks because your room is messy, I would. mm." Yeah, it would just it makes you feel horrible about yourself. Oh, yeah. I also feel like his. So as somebody who has an anxiety disorder, um, his description of panic attacks as being very potentially very debilitating and very difficult is one of the more compassionate moments in this book. But his description of anxiety in general is real weak with like the level of anxiety that I have and the amount that it impedes my ability to function if it's not managed. He really underestimates how bad anxiety can be, even though he's surprisingly compassionate about how bad panic attacks can be. And again, I think this goes back to he's writing about himself. Mm -hmm. Again, my hypothesis based on not having met the guy so i can't diagnose him lucky you um yeah i i'm gonna appreciate that one he has some really salient descriptions about certain aspects of anxiety that feel like they're coming from a place of personal knowledge but he's only about writing about what he knows not writing about what other people experience so having having met him and spent not insignificant time with him that rings true for me. I think it's a good a good guess. Um, I would not at all be surprised if he was a person who did have panic attacks just from like I've seen his physical behavior when he's under stress. I've seen him pace a lot. Um, I've seen him fidget and kind of start to hyperventilate and catch himself or cover for himself. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've seen physical evidence of anxiety and panic attacks just from like what I can visually see. So that really I think that's a, an excellent guess. Do you think that Jack Scoff seems like the type of person who would throw a Monopoly board against the wall because his wife is beating him at Monopoly? Because that's another story that he tells in this book. No, I think he's the kind of guy who would try to get into her head and like he thinks he is so much smarter than everyone else and he thinks he is an expert at psychology. And I think that he would try to get in her head and make her feel bad and psychologically manipulate her into losing on purpose. Just my opinion. (laughs) Have not played Monopoly with him. You would know better than I would. It seems like there's like a formula here where like every time he talks about it, he'll like introduce an overarching problem and then he will tell a disturbing and highly triggering anecdote with zero resolution at the end of it. And zero ringing of reality. Yeah. And, and just like the the craziest you have ever heard. Then he, he will use this to introduce you to a concept. He will relate that concept to some Bible verses and then compare this concept to an extreme world event or or bad actor or or something and then finish off by saying at Hiles Anderson College life is perfect. That's because this book is written primarily for teenagers and youth pastors because in Jack Scott's world uh, teenagers and women are the only people who had mental health problems. Yeah, just in like my browsing of this book 
Like the the things he's compared this stuff to. Let's see. It, it, there's Terry Shivo, the Holocaust, Saddam Hussein, Native American genocide, the Columbine school shooting, Jimi Hendrix, NBA basketball players in tracksuits, HBO movies, and the Taliban. Like that. That's it's quite I, a list. That, that is. is- I feel like that's an like a late night show. Like you read that list and then the guy rips open the envelope like and then gives you the joke. Or it's like Steve Harvey's up there on Family Feud is like, what are like, give me eight things that Jack (laughs) Scott show me Terry Shiva. Ding, 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 ding. This book, this book, y'all, we could have done twice the amount of content that we have done on it easily i have i have one like really short quote that i want to read and then i have a final question for shoshana i just want to support my claim that the answer to everything i was going through at the time i was given this book was to read the bible and pray more this is a quote from page 96 many people come to my office for counseling and say Pastor, I have been diagnosed by my doctor or psychologist as having panic panic attacks or with adult attention deficit disorder or as bipolar. I ask the person, how is your quiet time with the Lord? Or how is your walk with God? Or what is your meditation time like? They are generally embarrassed as they admit it is non-existent. So that quote is just support for my claim that the answer to literally any mental health problem or conundrum or issue is read your Bible and pray. It's also literally what happened to you. Yeah. Yes, it is also very much my li- my lived experience. Um, but I like to back up when people put my lived experience on paper. I like to share that. That is infuriating. Because like I'm makes, angry. Well, it makes me feel because uh, the IFB is such a a gaslighty place that I was never encouraged to trust my own memory or intuition or experience or feelings. And that's the experience. That's what happened to a lot of us who were raised like that. And that's one thing our podcast does is we we validate people. We say, yes, you did probably experience this because I did too. Right. Or if you felt this way, I felt that way too. So sometimes I have to kind of do that for myself. I have to validate my own experience and it helps when I can find it on paper. I was going to say, who knew you'd get validation of your life experience from these particular pages? <laughs> so, oh, no. so my my kind of final question because unfortunately we're out of time uh i wanted to shoshana what is your take on the effects of giving this book to someone who is in mental health crisis what what's what's your take on on all of that so ooh, um If a person is having an anxiety disorder, there are probably worse ways to handle it. Um, Pretty much any other mental health concern, I couldn't think of a better way to help someone feel invalidated or minimized or like what they are experiencing is not okay and that they're just not working hard enough. And that if they just worked a little harder at reading the Bible, that they would be better. And that if they worked a little harder to forgive, that they would be better. It is so toxic and so scary. I, I, it makes me shiver to think about like truly how many lives could 
potentially have been lost as a result of this book. That's the whole IFB thing. And and I've talked about this quite a bit. I know I did in both the Mother's Day episode and the Day in the Life of College episode. This concept of if you're not if you're not succeeding, you're not trying hard enough, or if you're not getting the results you want, that's because you're not doing all the right things. And it goes back to the IFB's salvation theology because their salvation theology is it's on you to accept Jesus and that's when you go to heaven, not God's grace takes you to heaven, but you have to do the action to access God's grace. So it's all t- it's all tied into this whole thing of it it is all on you and if you're not doing it it's your fault. And that's not to say that recovering from mental health struggles isn't hard work. It is a lot of hard work. And you can't show up to therapy expecting the therapist to fix you. You have to fix that's yourself. True. But you need to know how to fix yourself. And this doesn't give you any direction with that. It is it is really a mess. And I know that there are a lot of listeners who were probably given this kind of advice. And I just want to say congratulations for, for surviving this far. Uh, we are we're tough and that's great, but toughness needs help sometimes. And just being tough or just using your survival mode for an extended period of time usually eventually quits working. And I would encourage people who had who had been given a book like this or given this book or given IFB mental health advice to get professional help when you're able and when that's safe for you. I agree that, you know, sticking in that survival mode, your body can only handle it for so long and you'll burn out eventually. And, you know, and I don't want to say, you know, great job for surviving. Like, that's great. Yes. <laughs> but that survival mode isn't going to last forever. And you can use, like like the trick that I learned to work through self-harm of writing Bible verses on my arm, that was like a very small skill that I learned. And that helped me learn even bigger skills in therapy that have allowed me to make immense progress in that area. And you, Sadie, what's amazing about that particular skill is that you essentially self-discovered cognitive behavioral therapy. You you were just replacing your maladaptive thoughts with Bible verses. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, this is one of several times that I've invented something that already existed. Yeah. Man, if we'd have taken you back uh, 600 years in time, then you would have been like Galileo and, and Sadie and like Isaac Newton and Copernicus all hanging out as like the 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 geniuses who were ahead of their time. Well, I think we are going to have to wrap this up. But thank you so much, Shoshana, for being here with us on this episode. This has been uh, as delightful as reading this horrible book could possibly be. It's been my absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. That was a great interview. That was great. That was ex- that was extremely enlightening into the mind of Jack Scott, which I don't know that I, I didn't know that I wanted to know that much about his brain, but it turns out that I did. Well, he spent an entire book telling on himself. Just like this entire book is him telling on himself. Like there's so much stuff that in this book that we didn't even get to. Like just uh, I, I don't even know. Um, Shoshana, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we had so much fun having you. 
uh, Dr. Shoshana Fagan. She is excellent. As you can tell, she really knows her stuff. She really knows what she's talking about. And she is absolutely the right person to, I guess, psychoanalyze a convicted pedophile and sex trafficker and cult leader. You know, not everybody has the guts to go, yeah, I'll just read a terrible book that that is against everything that I've studied my entire life for and psychoanalyze a cult leader. Not every not everybody has the guts to do that. I appreciate that. If you really want to make a contribution, you know, sometimes what you have to do is you have to take something bad that exists and bring it out into the light. And that's, I think, what she's done a great job of. Um, As always, if you are a fan of this show, you can follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. It is at Leaving Eden Podcast. On Twitter, it is at Leaving Eden Pod. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus sadie do you want to plug your social media sure you can follow me on twitter at hell yes sadie on instagram at sadie carpenter music or on tiktok at sadie carpenter one and you can follow me on facebook instagram and twitter at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n thank you guys so much for tuning in we had a great time hope that you guys did too bye-bye Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at Branch. Branch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.